So we saw last week at the beginning of Matthew 3, we saw John in the wilderness baptizing Jews. But now as we finish up Matthew 3, we see John there in the wilderness continuing on to baptize. But now we see the baptism of Jesus, which leads us on to some, I think, important questions that arise such as, why did Jesus need to be baptized? I don't know, let me know when you find that out, but we're gonna just go on here with this. No, we're gonna look to answer that here today in our study, but notice there in verse 13 that Jesus came from Galilee to John of the Jordan to be baptized by him. Now, I, I find uh, this very significant, okay? Because Jesus came, we're gonna see that his baptism is really to come and identify with, with sinful humanity. And yet, it's interesting just in the way that Jesus comes, he comes in great uh, significant insignificance, you could say. Because we know from other gospels, it says he came from Nazareth. Now, Nazareth was in the Galilee region, but Nazareth was a place that you didn't expect anything good to come from. In fact, Nathaniel, when he's told about Jesus, who's here, from, and what does Nathaniel say? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? That was the kind of reputation that Nazareth had. This is the town that you just wanna quickly pass through. You don't wanna stop in Nazareth, you just wanna pass through it, right? And, and this idea that nothing good can come out of Nazareth. So Jesus comes out of Nazareth, people are going, well, this, this surely can't be anybody important. You know, this can't be the guy that we're really waiting for. And Nazareth is in the region of Galilee, kind of podunk country. This is sort of backwoods area now. This was out of the spiritual hub of Jerusalem. This is where kind of the uneducated, you know, the, the hillbillies lived in a sense. That's the reputation of Galilee. So again, he comes from Nazareth, of Galilee, as, as Matthew tells us, came from the region of Galilee, people are going, uh, again, no. Surely this is not something that God's gonna be raising up that's gonna come out of, of Galilee. Remember they said that about the disciples. Aren't these the, the guys from Galilee? You know, we can tell by their talk. They talked with, you know, quite a Southern drawl or something like that, right? You know, they just had this accent that, that gave them away as uneducated kind of, uh, of people. So here's Jesus coming and then he comes to John you know, who's there in the wilderness, dry and barren place. We talked about that last week, significant for where Israel was at in spiritual state in the relationship with God. There, he's in the wilderness, baptizing the Jordan. Now, the Jordan in many places is nothing more than like a ditch, right? You, you drive through Israel, you go, oh, there's a Jordan over there. You're like, what, where? Where it's like, just, it's, it's there. It's kind of just a little, you know, ditch in some areas. And you're going, what? Man, I had great, you know, grandiose pictures of the Jordan in this nice, you know, water flowing, beautiful, pristine blue water. And you get there and it's like brown. And there's like, you know, these big fish swimming. And you're like, oh, what? We're going to get baptized here? You know, it, it's kind of, again, insignificant. And here comes Jesus now. He's not coming with this regal sort of entourage with this kind of pomp going, hey, you know what, guys? We're going to go get baptized over here, away from the crowds. Yeah, we're going to go to this nice, you know, spa looking resort. You know, this is where I'm going to choose to get. But Jesus doesn't do that. He comes and he takes his place right among sinful humanity in this kind of unspectacular way. And I love that about Jesus. He comes and he relates to us. He doesn't put himself above us. He comes and he relates to us here. And he takes his place, right? I think in light as John is there baptizing other, you know, people in, in, in for the repentance of their sin. I don't think Jesus comes on and says, hey guys, I've arrived. Just gonna come butt right up to the front of the line like I do at the coffee out in the foyer there. No, Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't come and butt in line. He doesn't come right to the front. He just, I think, and I'm, you know, adding some conjecture. I think he just kind of takes his place right in line with the rest. 
You never know who you're in line with, right? You never know how God wants to just kind of show up right in your specific situation, in your circumstances. God is with us. And here's Jesus just coming and taking his place in line as John is baptizing people there in the wilderness. And then, I think John is baptizing, all of a sudden he gets to Jesus, right? And again, John knows Jesus. They've grown up together. They're cousins, right? They spent time together. John knew who Jesus was, but John doesn't yet at this point know that Jesus is the Son of God with this specific mission to come and be the, the Savior of the world, that he's the promised Messiah. John doesn't yet have that understanding of revelation. We'll, we'll see that in a moment, but John, Jesus now gets to John, and John right away, he knows, hey, he may not know that he's God, but he knows this guy's pretty huge, right? This guy's like, he's growing up with Jesus. Jesus never was the guy on the timeouts or being grounded or getting busted for something. Jesus was always like, you know, the goody two-shoes. Imagine growing up with Jesus. Imagine the half-brother, you know, Mary's always like, why can't you be more like Jesus, right? I'm sure John heard that from his mom Elizabeth. You know, Jesus would never have done that, right? You know, and they got to grow up with this. They, John knows that Jesus is somebody special. He's not seen him sin. He's not seen him, you know, getting into trouble and doing these things. So when Jesus gets to John, we see John responding in this way. Look at verse 14. It says that John tried to prevent him now, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And are you coming to me? So John knew the righteousness of Jesus, that he was upright, he's moral, he's wise, he's without sin. But now because of that, John sees his own unworthiness. He's not saying, I can't baptize you because you're God. He's saying, I don't deserve to baptize you because I'm a greater sinner than you. See, every time that we draw closer to Jesus, <clears throat> I think we should have a greater awareness of our sinfulness, of our unworthiness, but again, not just of our unworthiness, but more so of his greatness. We should be brought into this idea and understanding that God, your grace is so significant. Your grace is so amazing because I don't deserve to stand. I don't deserve to be in relationship with you. The more that we grow in Jesus, it shouldn't cause us to grow in greater pride or this kind of awareness of, well, I'm something special now, you know, I'm, I'm with God, I, I've got all sorted out, figured out now. It shouldn't cause us to grow with any kind of a, a greater self-worth, but more so a, a sense of, man, I need to die to self. I need to find myself simply standing in the very grace of God and in his righteousness. That's how, how Peter responded, right? When he's out the boat with Jesus and Jesus says, hey, cast down your net. And Peter's like, man, we've been out here all day, all night. We've toiled all night and we've caught nothing. And Peter goes, nevertheless at your word, I'll let down my net. He lets down his net and suddenly <laughs> there's so great of a haul of fish in that he can't even bring it up in the boat. And Peter right away recognizes Jesus. Man, there's something significant about you. And he says what? He says, depart from me for I'm a sinful man. See, that's the kind of attitude we should have that continues to cause us to grow in the greatness of who Jesus is. Not grow in our greatness, but grow in the greatness of Jesus and in the significance of his great grace that he has saved us through and brought us in. Thank the Lord for that. The more that we look to Jesus, the more that we're surrendered to Jesus, the greater we become aware of our smallness, but of his greatness in our lives. Now, Here's John. Jesus is ready to get baptized. Comes in line and 
Now he's baptizing one person, comes to Jesus, and he's like, no, 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 I can't, I can't do that. This is not me. And I wonder how, how often we're, we're quick to oppose the things of God because it doesn't make sense to us, right? You know, God does things in a way that is oftentimes very contrary to the way that we would do things to where we can oftentimes think, this isn't gonna work. This isn't good. This isn't the right way, God. Let me help you. Let's do it this way instead. I wonder how quick we are to oppose the things of God, thinking we're doing God a favor rather than just responding in faith and acceptance and say, God, I may not understand this, but I'm gonna trust that this is for the better and this is ultimately for your glory. I mean, again, Peter. Don't wanna harp on Peter, but boy, he's a great example to us, isn't he? But Peter, remember in Caesarea Philippi, when Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter responded, oh, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And, and Jesus says, he commends him. He's like, man, awesome, Peter. Because flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven has revealed this to you, right? And Peter's like, whoa, man, I finally did something, right? And he's probably like high-fiving the disciples. Ha ha, I did it, you didn't, you know? And he's just like bragging probably. He's excited. But then when Jesus goes on to share about what his mission is gonna entail, that it's gonna be him going to Jerusalem where he's gonna suffer, he's gonna be betrayed. He's gonna be crucified and die. And what does Peter do? Now he's like kind of spokesman of the group. He's like, oh no way. Far be it from me, Jesus. I will never allow this to happen. And what does Jesus have to say? Get behind me, Satan, right? I mean, Peter goes from the high of highs to all of a sudden right down to the depths of the lows. It's like, man, that was a quick fall right there, right? Fall from grace. But Peter was thinking, that doesn't make sense, Jesus. You're the Messiah. I just, I just proclaimed that. The Father revealed that. I just showed you, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah. You can't go to Jerusalem and die. But Peter was quick to oppose what God wanted to do. And God was gonna carry out his purposes in a way that went beyond human reasoning and understanding. And how quick we have to be ready to just submit. Don't oppose the work of the Lord as, as the Lord is leading you in certain directions or certain areas of your life. Don't be quick to go, no Lord, that doesn't, that doesn't, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't seem to work. Let me, let me suggest a few things that maybe you've overlooked. We can do that sometimes, can't we? How we need to be surrendered and yielded and willing to walk in faith to what God wants to do. And here's John now at that point where he's like, okay, you want me to baptize you? All right, so here's how Jesus responds to John to kind of correct his way of, of thinking in this. He says in verse 15, but Jesus answered and said to him, permit it to be so now for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John allowed him. Now, again, John was shocked to see Jesus coming to be baptized. I'm sure we can all be shocked and, and question why, again, Jesus needed to be baptized. As I said earlier, that's kind of a question that is posed for us. Why did Jesus have to do this? Maybe you've wrestled through that a little bit in your own you know, devotional time or, or thinking through these things. Did Jesus need to repent of something? Is Jesus needed to take his place to reveal and, and now lead this life? And said, no, Jesus never sinned. Jesus never needed to repent of anything. No, the reason Jesus gives us is right here. He says, it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. So he says, we must do this to fulfill all righteousness. Now that word fitting right here, it's an interesting word in the Greek because it means this. It means, I'll write over here, to stand out or to be conspicuous. In other words, this was something that was to be a visible manifestation 
of the righteousness of Jesus being demonstrated here in front of them. Now, how was this righteousness being demonstrated or seen now through his baptism? Well, let me put it this way. It was being demonstrated by Jesus walking in obedience to the will of the Father, to what God had desired Jesus to do in coming and representing humanity, taking his place among humanity, identifying with him and laying his life down for them. You see, just as Jesus would eventually go to the cross, submitting to the will of the Father, remember he would say in the garden of Gethsemane, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. In other words, like, if there's another way to secure your salvation in the world. If there's any other way, let it be so. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. This is what Jesus prayed three times in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Matthew is using this word righteousness in a way. Remember, he's speaking to a Jewish audience. So he's using it in a way to speak of kind of uh, fulfilling the will of God or the, the conduct which is right in God's eyes. Just as... as Paul would say in Philippians 3, you know, according to the law, he's speaking about his old life apart from coming to Christ. According to the law, I was what? Righteous. Paul could look at his life and go, I lived a righteous life because I was carrying out the very things that God commanded us to do. I was living those things out. I was walking in obedience to those things. That's what Paul determined as righteousness until he came to realize his own sin. So the word righteous we know through scripture means having a right standing with God. But here in Jewish mind, that righteousness was carried out through walking in a way that was according to the will of God. And so Jesus is coming to do that to fulfill now all righteousness, to walk obediently to what God had for him to do. So that explains for us kind of the, the first reason why Jesus was baptized. Uh, Warren Wiersbe suggests six reasons why Jesus was baptized. So this first one, as we just seen, was out of, it was obligation. It was to fulfill all righteousness, to carry out the work of God and walk in submission to the Father. The second reason was consecration. Consecration. Can you guys all see that? Okay, all right. Not, not well, I'm sure, but that's all right. Uh, consecration. And again, this was interesting because the Old Testament priests were washed and consecrated into service. They were anointed into the priesthood, and that happened at 30 years of age. How old is Jesus right now? 30 years of age. It's as though Jesus is being anointed, consecrated, and, and washed now in baptism into his priestly service because he would come and be our great high priest who's going to lead us now to God and bridge that gap for us, just as a priest was to do. So it's consecration. Thirdly, it's commendation commendation how well Jesus was validating John's ministry by being baptized by him John was the voice of one calling in the wilderness coming to prepare the way and so now as Jesus comes and he says hey I need to be baptized by you it was commending John's ministry as one that people needed to take note of and follow and listen to as he was calling the nation to repentance and to a work of preparation in receiving the Messiah Jesus is saying hey he's the guy like like follow what he's saying because he's leading people to what I'm going to do. So it's commending the work of, of John. Fourthly, it's proclamation. <coughs> proclamation. Now John was able to make it known that Jesus is the longer way to form Messiah. Now that's also a, a 
revealed to us in the approving voice of God that comes from heaven, as we'll see in uh, the end of this chapter here. The Father speaks from heaven. This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. So there's a proclamation that this is the one now, all right? Jesus is long awaited for Messiah. As I said, John didn't know this about Jesus until the baptism. He knew he's a good guy. He knew there's something special about Jesus. This guy never gets into trouble. It's always on my shoulders. He knows he's something special, but he doesn't know he's the Son of God. In fact, John 1, verse 31, John the Baptist speaking, saying, I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. Now, so I came baptizing with water so that it would eventually reveal this promised Messiah to all of Israel. So it's proclamation, the Messiah is here. And number five, it is, as we've already mentioned, identification. And I love this. Jesus came to identify with sinful humanity. Though he was without sin, he took his place among sinful humanity to do a work for us. See, Jesus identified with us in his baptism, and we now identify with Christ in our baptism. He came to say, I'm going to go before you. I'm going to identify with the need for humanity, and that is to be right with God, and that will come through Jesus, Jesus Christ. He says, I'm going to identify with you in baptism, but now in our baptism, we identify with Christ. Many see the fuller meaning of that word baptism as being identification. And number six, it is anticipation. Anticipation. See, this baptism of Jesus would look ahead to what Jesus would ultimately accomplish for us through the cross. In fact, look at what Luke 12, 50 says. Jesus saying, but I have a baptism to be baptized with and how distressed I am till it is accomplished. He's not speaking about the baptism of John's. This isn't a distressing thing, though the waters, you, you don't open your mouth when you're getting baptized in the Jordan. It might be distressing that way, but this is not distressing in, in spirit. It's like, oh, I don't want to do this. No, no big deal. But he's speaking about the cross. He's speaking about what he would have to endure through the cross because he would be taking the very wrath of God upon himself. He would die a brutal death and he would then be raised to life three days later. Jesus's baptism would all foreshadow. It would anticipate the work that he would come to do ultimately through the cross. That was the ultimate baptism. A baptism of fires we talked about last week when he would take the judgment of God for our sin. And this baptism here would foreshadow that because he would lay his life down. He'd be buried in the water, but he'd come up in newness of life. And that's what our baptism is a picture of today. It's a picture of our being united into the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Romans 6, verse three to six spells it out for us. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into, his, uh, into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. So our baptism is very significant in being a picture of that. Understand something. Baptism does not save us. Let's be clear about that, all right? Baptism does not save us, but it becomes a wonderful picture and opportunity. As I've often said in our baptism times, it, it pleases the Father, as we see God being pleased with what Jesus is doing. It pleases the Father, it preaches our funeral, and it publicizes our faith. 
Das baptism does. It's a public proclamation to say, you know what, I've laid down my old life. I've, uh, I've been made new in and through Jesus Christ. I'm no longer living that way, but I'm living now in the newness of life that Jesus has provided for me. That's what baptism pictures for us, and it's an opportunity to proclaim our faith in Christ. And it's a command that we're given, isn't it? Because Jesus was baptized, and so too now, we're to follow in that same kind of active submission to the Father in being baptized. That's what Jesus commanded his disciples to do. Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations and do what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So baptism is a wonderful picture of what Jesus has done for us. And it's a command given to us to do so in like manners. Jesus was baptized, not to save people, but to proclaim the salvation that we have in and through Jesus Christ. So verse 16, we got to wrap this up here. Uh, verse 16 says, when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So Jesus comes up out of the water. Notice again, baptism was not by sprinkling. Jesus didn't stand in ankle deep water and John just sprinkled a little water. It's like, man, he went down in the water. Significant picture of burial. He went down in the water and he came up out of the water and he comes up out of the water. The heavens are opened and the spirit comes down upon him like a dove. Now, understand what it's saying here. The spirit came down like a dove. It's not an actual dove that flies down. It's not like the dove that comes and lands on the shoulder of Jesus to where now he's like walking through his ministry with a little mascot with him for the rest of his days, you know, a pirate and a parrot. This is not the idea here, okay? It, it's like a dove. And what is a dove like? A dove has become a symbol of peace. It's a picture of, of gentleness, gentle as a dove, right? And so this is the idea of the Spirit coming down in gentleness with, with peace. And he's coming upon Jesus and others. Great significance throughout Scripture of the dove. We don't have time to get into all that. But the bottom line too is that this is the moment that John now recognized that this is the long-awaited for Messiah. This is the guy because look at what John 1 Verse 32 goes on to say, we already read verse 31, when John says, this is why he must come baptizing water, but it goes on to say this, and John bore witness saying, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize, God, right? He who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I've seen and testified that this is the Son of God. This is the moment that John suddenly is like, oh, I was told that the one that the Spirit comes down upon, he's the one. So John's like there in line, baptizing people one after the other. Any deaf? No. All right, get out of here. You're not the guy. All right, you know, go. Just keep repenting. He's baptizing the next person. And he, not, nothing. He's baptizing people. He's waiting. Suddenly baptizes Jesus. You're special. I know you haven't sinned. I should be baptized by you, but nevertheless, I'll, I'll baptize you. As you said, suddenly the Spirit comes down. He doesn't know that he's the Son of God. He doesn't know this is the promised Messiah. Suddenly the dove comes down. John's like, this is the one. Woo! This is where again that got to be that, that proclamation. At the, at the onset of Jesus' public ministry up until this point, he's been living in kind of obscurity. We don't know a lot about Jesus' early life, his adolescence. We don't know all those things. 
because he's just been living in obscurity. He's just been kind of fitting in with, with humanity, and now he's coming to begin his public ministry, which is significant, because as he begins his public ministry, what happens? He's empowered now by the Spirit. How important that is, my friends. The Spirit comes now. Was this the first time, the, the, the time that the Spirit was now filling him? No, he's... He's always been the son of God. He's always been divine. The spirit's always been with him, but this was significant because this is now the spirit empowering him and leading him out into ministry. In other words, what Jesus did, he did in and through the power of the Holy Spirit, I believe. And that's important because you, you see Jesus' ministry. What did he often do? He often went away by himself to pray, to spend time with the Lord. He relied upon the, the empowering of the Holy Spirit. If Jesus, the very son of God, is doing those things in his ministry, how much more important is it for us to be relying upon our Heavenly Father and communing with Him in prayer and relying upon the filling and empowering of the Holy Spirit to lead us and carry out the work of God through us? Jesus did that. How much more do we need that? And so we see again just this wonderful picture now of the Trinity all engaged here at the very onset of Jesus' public ministry. The heavens are open, very significant because it's been 400 dry years of not really hearing from heaven. They're out in the wilderness, significant of that, but now the heavens are open. Now it's time. The Son of God is, has arrived in his public ministry to carry out the, the work of God. The heavens are open and a voice comes down. The Father is present. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Those are our two significant Old Testament passages that again, his Jewish audience would have been very familiar with. Psalm 2.7, Isaiah 42.1, those both talked about Jesus, uh, the father speaking to his son, spoke about him delighting in his son in Isaiah 42. And so when they hear that voice, these, these, this Jewish audience would have recognized, oh, that's exactly what was foretold again in Old Testament scripture. But understand something, this is cool because when God says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, has Jesus gone and performed any miracles as of yet? Has he healed anybody, delivered people from demon possession? Has he preached that sermon on the mountain yet? He's done none of these things. And yet the Father is pleased with him. Why? Because he's walking in submission to the Father. He's being faithful to what the Father has called him to do. Understand something, my friends. God's not looking to you to carry out some great work. Sometimes we think we gotta be on the front lines of ministry for God to be pleased with us. We gotta be performing some incredible works for God to be pleased with us. Listen, God is pleased with you when you simply live a faithful life of surrender and service to him. That's what Jesus has done up until this point. And the Father is pleased with him. God's not looking for the greatest success. He's not looking for people to do the greatest works. He's looking for you to simply be faithful to live in submission and surrender to him and to carry out just whatever God has called you to do, which might look very different than what he's called someone else to do. You don't have to worry about those things. He measures success upon faithfulness and he's pleased when we live a life of faithfulness and surrender to him. Well, worship team, would you come up? We're gonna wrap up. We got lots more to talk about, but we're, we're out of time. And so um, we're gonna leave it right there. But if you're here today and you've not been baptized, I would encourage you, take those steps of obedience to baptism and, and make that an opportunity to say, you know what? I'm saved, but I wanna, I wanna testify to what Christ has done for me. I wanna proclaim loudly what Jesus has already done in my life. And I wanna be baptized and identifying my life all the more with Christ and what he's done 
uh, for me. If you're here today and you're not saved, we encourage you. Jesus came. Yes, to fulfill all righteousness in fulfilling the work of the Lord, but he came to make us righteous because the Bible says our righteousness is as filthy rags. None of us can, can be right with God or make it to heaven by our good works, by us trying to earn our way in. All of us fall short, the Bible says. We need Jesus. He's the only righteous one. And he died on a cross to pay the penalty for your sin, take, taking the bullet for you so that all who put their faith in him can now receive his righteousness for themselves. Have you received that today personally for you? If not, I encourage you, whether you're watching online in the overflow, whether you're here in this room, call to Jesus today, right now where you're at. You don't have to do anything special. You just need to simply pray a prayer of saying, Lord, forgive me my sin. I, I confess I'm a sinner. I'm in need of saving. I turn from that now. That's what repentance is. I turn from that, and I'm going to turn your way so that I can be right with you. Receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior today. If you prayed that today or you want to pray that, come and talk to us. If you're online, send us an email. We'd love to share more with you about this, all right?